Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And of course, he's talking about the judgment that's going to come upon Judah. Then it says in the next verse, verse, uh, verse 13, And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it is facing from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And that, of course, refers to Babylon that's going to come in. And there's a battle between Babylon and Egypt. Babylon's going to chase the Egyptians, as I illustrated on the map last week. Remember, if we go back to Isaiah, and, and we've talked about this many times, we talked about Hezekiah, and we talked about the mistake he made in the 39th chapter, and we're not going to read all of it. And I was talking to Bob Harding about this verse a moment ago, where it says in chapter 39, verse 8, when Isaiah tells um, Hezekiah what's going to take place because of his arrogance and showing the Babylonian envoys everything, and, and the fact that they're going to come and take all this away. And Hezekiah says in verse 8, So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. And I was confessing to Brother Harding how I feel that way sometimes, but am reminded of um, his children and grandchildren, all of our children and grandchildren, and the fact that we have to prepare them to have a peace that passes understanding. And no matter what circumstance they're in, that they could serve the Lord and be ensured of eternal life. No matter what circumstance they're in, they can be a light to the world. They can live the way that God wants them to live. And so we should take courage from that. And remember, as Paul said, let you remain, remain in the condition you're in. In other words, you can't change the circumstances around you all the time. But you could uh, determine how you're going to behave and what you're going to follow. And as we see in chapter 1 and get into chapter 2... The accusation is they were no longer following God, but they had turned to false gods. And they have rejected the warnings and judgment that the Lord has given them before. So if you've heard the phrase, you know, they're digging the hole deeper, that's exactly what's taking place here. And we're going to get into that, into that tonight. Before I begin, I'm going to ask Brother Bill Tomlinson to lay us in a word of prayer. So he said that the context of this chapter, of course, was that Jeremiah is going to start his work as a prophet uh, in the days of Josiah, who is a reformer, who is going to reinstitute the Passover. We read the passage last week about the law being found. He's going to institute that. He's going to try to turn the nation from idol worship. But it was so ingrained in their culture. And I heard a, a great discussion by Thomas Sowell. He's um, a brilliant economist and historian, very conservative who looks at facts. And by the way, he's African-American. 
And he says that the problem is culture. And when you think about it, uh, for example, you know, you'll hear Paul uh, make a statement like, uh, Cretans are lazy gluttons. Can you imagine how offensive that statement would be today? Wow, he's, he's, he's being racist. He was being racist, he makes an observation on their fruits as a culture. And cultures can develop certain characteristics. And the culture of God's people had become one that has turned to idol worship, is going their own way. It has become one where, and it's going to be alluded to in this chapter in chapter 2, that instead of turning back and listening to God, they're going to try to find other ways to resolve problems. Like making alliances with nations like Egypt, <laughs> who are not correct in the sight of God. And, and, and we're going to see that very clearly. Before I talk a lot like I usually do, is there anything that you saw from the first 16 verses of chapter 1 before I make some observations and continue on? I want to give you an opportunity. Alvaro. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's a great point, And I think it fits in directly with Brother Harding and others who have taught us about the death and resurrection of Christ. And it was on God's timetable. Remember that they were seeking to kill Jesus long before that. But it wasn't so... He's going to, in one case, uh, go through their midst, as he says. And it's like, well, well, how, how does that happen? I mean, certain, certain they had uh, enough people to arrest him and to kill him. Well, because the Lord wasn't going to allow at that point. And and that same point that Alvaro brings up is going to be told to Jeremiah. He's going to be told that he's going to be protected. Now, it's not protected in the sense we might think, right? When we think of protection, we might think, well. They're not going to imprison us, they're not going to harm us, they're not going to slander us, none of those things. In this case, the promise of Jeremiah is, is that he's not going to be killed. He's going to be able to have the time to perform his work as a prophet. But we know he's going to suffer all those things. Uh, can you think of an example of Paul wanting to do something and he wasn't allowed to do it? Where did the Holy Spirit prevent him from going? That's right. And, and, and that's the Macedonian call. And, and, of course, he's going to return to the area of Macedonia, and he's going to do a lot of work there, including uh, preach to those in Thessalonica, as we talked about. And, and, and so, so even servants of God, like Paul, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, like others, have to learn, that some, because sometimes we're going to see that in, in this book. There's going to be times where Jeremiah's going to question and disagree, and the Lord's going to correct even him. And remember that um, he even sought to kill Moses at one point, if you remember. And, and his wife had to bail him out of that situation. So, so God holds all people accountable. Okay, uh, anything else that you saw in those verses there before we continue on? Okay, so some observations, verses 13 through 16. Okay, so the second vision that Jeremiah saw, you think of a boiling pot of water, right? Uh, here it, it could say a, a cauldron and we said that it was going to be Babylon and armies coming from the north and that they would devour Judah you might have known that we had that map last week I didn't put it up tonight because I didn't want to get caught up in, in all the maps and charts I'll show them from time to time but Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon had a battle with Egypt and Pharaoh so there's a point where Pharaoh is going to have a lot of influence and He's going to win that battle, and then they're going to come down. 
But we're going to see even through these different kings that Egypt's going to have some influence before Babylon takes over. And remember that Babylon doesn't take over just one swoop, right? The 70-year captivity doesn't start like in the first interaction of Babylon. There's going to come a point, and, and again, we're given this timeline in the first chapter, in Zedekiah's time, where, and where finally, that, and that's going to be enough, right? And, and that's when God is going to start the 70-year captivity. And one of the things Jeremiah is going to have to deal with later on is that other prophets are going to come along and say, what? This captivity is not going to last 70 years. No, no, no don't. And, and obviously they're not going to be correct. And Zedekiah himself was told, don't make an alliance. This is the will of God, but he tries to make an alliance anyway because of who you listen to. And we're going to read that later on in this. So for example, we can see in Jeremiah chapter 25, again, the reference to the beginning and the exact number of 70 years is going to be the time that they're in Babylonian captivity. And remember we talked about the distance last week, how long that was, and how many days journey it would take. And imagine, um, just imagine a place you've never been to. You know, I've never been, for example, and probably never will be, uh, in a place like China, a country like that. The culture would be a lot different to me, the language, the, you know, what you'd see. And, and, and that's what these people are being taken into. So you imagine young men like Daniel being brought to Babylon and the hanging gardens of Babylon and, and all the stuff in the city. And I'll say some, some stuff there related to that. Just imagine, you talk about culture shock. You talk about really being somewhere that's foreign. Again, a couple of weeks ago, Brother Travis did a lesson where he gave us a sense of the gods they worshipped and what they would have been like. So again, just, just, just put that in your mind that that's what these people are going to go through. And here's a young Jeremiah, a teenager, who's given the task of prophesying these things. Okay, and then the second thing again, the description that Jehovah gave the people of Judah. They were wicked. They had forsaken him. They had burned incense to and worshipped other gods. And, and again, did the people know that this was not acceptable? Well, we know the Ten Commandments, for example. So, so they, they knew. And of course, what's interesting, and we see what history repeats itself, when Moses goes up on the mount and gets the commandments, what are the people doing? Golden calf, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he, again, you talk about it. And, and so they would have information just from their history to say, well, here's what the people did and here's what the outcome was, right? But again, and, and, and how much more so for us who have even more history to read, and we see patterns repeating itself over and over and over again. And I think it's a warning to us. So we talked about Josiah making his efforts to restore the people, but we know the people had slipped too far. And of course, you know the influence that Manasseh is going to have. He's going to come in and, and turn them right back. And we're going to talk a lot about him and go through that. And so... Uh, here is a reference, uh, Isaiah chapter 10, if you look there real quick, Isaiah 10 and verse 5, okay, this is about Assyria, because Assyria was used to punish who? Northern tribes, right? And they'd be eliminated by Assyria. I Isaiah 10 verse 5, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. 
I will send him against an ungodly nation, and against the people of my wrath I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. For he says, and here's one of the reasons why I'm reading this, are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kalno like Karkamesh? Now Karkamesh is the battle where later on the Babylonians are going to defeat the Egyptians. And then the Babylonians are going to come from the north, which is what is talked about in Isaiah chapter 1, and they're going to come in and they're going to take Judah captive. So he uses Assyria. Now go down to verse 12 of that chapter. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. So in other words, he's going to use nations for his purposes, but then he's going to hold them accountable. And he's going to do the same thing to Babylon. And we know throughout history, and of course, we'll see this later on to Daniel, which is a book we'll stay later on. Uh, the references to the transitions, all the different empires are going to come and go. And just think about how powerful these empires are. But they all have the same fate. They all fight against God, and they all end up at some point declining and collapsing. And so again, not to be depressing tonight, but what makes us think that the United States is somehow immune to that? When, when the people have made the choices they make. And when the leaders have taken us in the direction they've taken us. We're going to see coming up here that God's going to call out the leaders. People who should have known better. And these are the people that are supposed to lead the people towards him. And instead they're doing the exact opposite. And we're going to get into that very, very shortly. Any comments before I continue on? Mike. Mike, I, I, I really appreciate your, your comment. Because again, that that's... They, they did forget it. We could do the same thing. And Mike's point about, you know, we could be exposed for decades to truthful teaching. And, and again, if we're not converted, if we don't change our lives and become what God wants us to become, it could be in vain. And again, remember that God's people always consider themselves religious. And what we're going to see is he's going to identify what they really are in his sight. And remember that if we go back to Exodus, we're not going to do so, but uh, they were crying. They were begging for God's intervention and help. And he's going to. And as Mike points out, how quickly they forget. Then they start complaining. And Egypt is going to be key because we're going to see that tonight. If we get there, we're most likely going to get there. And then again, if you knew your history, would you want Egypt as an ally? Just on the basis of history. You wouldn't go to them because, again, you know what took place in the past there. And it could be several generations later. But it's a, it's a really good point that Mike makes. Okay, let's look at verse 17. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise. And again, this is the concept of girding yourself, preparing yourself, clothing yourself. And speak to them all that I command you. So what's Jeremiah's task? To speak What? What God commanded him, and more specifically, what? All that God commanded him. Now, that, you think that's going to be difficult? Remember his excuse earlier? What did he say? 
What did Jeremiah say? I'm young. And God doesn't accept the excuse. God gives people the resources they need to carry out the task they're supposed to. And look what it said in verse 17. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. So what's he telling Jeremiah? He's not just saying, do this. What else is he saying? Don't be scared. And in addition to that, what happens if he doesn't do it? If you're afraid of them, you really be afraid of me. And, and, and think about that. Did God's people have a history of knowing what the consequences would be of disobedience? And, and, and how many stories would they have access to? How much history would they have had access to? Could they have experienced it? I mean, here you are in Judah. Again, what happened to the, the northern tribe, northern kingdom? It was gone, right? And we talked about that. And, and hold your place there. And we'll go back. If you turn back to, again, Isaiah. And this is when Hezekiah was the ruler. And you take a look at chapter 36. So we're not going to read there, but Sennacherib, who was the leader of Assyria, who's responsible for wiping out the northern kingdom, now he's down there in Judah and Jerusalem making the same threats. His envoys. Were they afraid? Was Hezekiah afraid? Absolutely. And if you don't remember, we went through that chapter. So much so, chapter 37, verse 1 of Isaiah. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the house of the Lord. So, so now who's he relying on? Yeah, and that's why he was a good king. Because he turned to God. And look what it says in verse 6. And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. So he's giving them courage. And there are points where God and his prophets and leaders are giving them courage. Later on, we'll study about Nehemiah. As he's giving the people the courage to build the wall, we know that prophets had to be sent because the temple work stopped. And we read about that in Ezra. And they're reminded, you do this. And, and, and again, how could we forget that type of thing? So we know that in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 13, again, we talk about this concept of girding up. 1 Peter chapter 1, and it says in verse 13, Therefore gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so prepare. What I would say as a football coach, strap up those helmets. What that means is you're ready to play. You can't play with your helmet strapped, helmet's on. So, so you're going to strap it up, you're ready to go. And that, that's what's being reminded here to Jeremiah. Jehovah commanded Jeremiah not to be dismayed at his enemies. The word dismayed means to have a sudden or complete loss of courage or confidence in the face of danger. And again, put yourself in the shoes of Jeremiah, this very young man. Now having said that, 
Can you think of any examples that Jeremiah could have thought of of young people who served God courageously? Okay, so we know that Daniel's going to be one. We know that this is something that's going to occur, that they're going to be sort of contemporaries. How about before? Yes, Stuart? Joseph. Joseph, who was probably about the same age here when uh, he was cast in the pit, right? David. So those heroes of faith that we could turn again and look at as a reminder, uh, Hebrews, and we've had a lot of good lessons from it, a lot of good discussion from it. Hebrews chapter 11, and read about faith. And again, we don't know for sure, but we know that um, Jeremiah is going to be taken into Egypt in the later part of his life. And tradition, and we warned you have to be careful tradition because we don't know how accurate it is. There's no corroborating evidence. But it says, for example, in verse 37, about people that had served God, these heroes of faith. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And before and after that, we get a whole description, but it says in verse 39, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having promised something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So do we think about the fact that that's the kind of pressure that Jeremiah is going to face? He knows. And how long did he prophesy, do you remember? At least, at least how long? At least four decades, at least 41 years. Uh, and we talked about Isaiah, how long he's going to prophesy. You know, and I, I remember having discussions with Rod. And, 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 you know, you may know a lot of Rod's history. And, and how when he was a young preacher, he preached the truth and people didn't like it. And a mob basically formed to try to get rid of him. And here he's this young man standing in the midst of these older men. But the one thing he held on to is that not one person could refute his teaching based on Scripture. Not one person. It was based on emotion. It was based on those types of things. So how much more so? And, and again, if we're getting a little offended by a sermon that's being taught, maybe the first reaction we should have is, why am I so offended by this? Instead of going up and attacking someone... And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stay for ourselves. I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't have discussions with people who inaccurately teach the Word of God. We certainly should. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to make sure that we respect people who preach and teach God's Word. And recognize if you preach and teach God's Word, is it always going to be received? We've got to get that message to our heads. We, we should not be surprised when we get a negative reaction. We should not be surprised that people might change their view towards us or maybe not even like us or maybe in some cases other consequences because isn't that what we're seeing over and over and over again in God's Word? We're seeing it here. We saw it with Jesus himself. And what's going to happen to the apostles when they go out and teach? All of them except John. And remember, John didn't die, but when he has the revelation on the island of Patmos, he was what? He was, he was in exile. That's right. He was in prison there. So it's not like he, he went there by choice. All right. Anything on verse 17 before we move on? Bill. 
Well, Dylan, going to your point, are there people that will teach and preach today that your measurement of your acceptance for God is, is how much you prosper or how comfortable you are? That's a very real thing in our day and time, and people love to flock to that. They love to hear that, that message that I'm going to be wealthy, I'm going to be successful if I just obey God. And, and we're seeing contrary to that. Bob? And, and you make a great point. And again, so like for the Sunday morning class you taught the last two Sundays, I prepared because I know responsibility as a disciple to grow and prepare and be held accountable for my participation. But also out of respect for you and for the work you did and your preparation. Do we ever think about that way? Or do we take teachers for granted sometimes or, or people preaching? Do we just assume? Do we understand? I know you put in a whole lot of time on that. And a whole lot of thought and a whole lot of preparation. And, and, and so again, godly people respect that. Godly people respect those who accurately represent him and his work. That's going to be contrary to what we're going to see in the next chapter about the leaders here. Who are, who are not respecting the will of God. Alright, verses 18 and 19. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar... And bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. So this goes to what Bill is saying about, again, Jeremiah being protected in a sense. Now let's take a look at verse 19 and then go back and make some observations. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So in verse 18... Who is God going to fortify Jeremiah against? The, the foreigners? The enemy? No, his, his people. His people. His people. Do you remember what Paul says to the Ephesian elders? Take a look real quick with me, if you recall. Turn to Acts. Acts chapter 19. And do you remember... What he says, I'm sorry, chapter 20, thank you. Chapter 20, do you remember what he says to the Ephesian elders? Does he say, hey, you better worry about inside influences? Of course you have to worry about inside influences. But what does he warn them against? Okay, verse 29, for I know this, that after, for no, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will what? Come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn uh, every everyone night and day with tears. So here he's talking about an external influence, but he's also talking about an internal influence. And, and look what he says there again in Acts chapter 20 and verse 31, therefore watch. You remember the vision that Jeremiah has about the, the almond branch? We says a play on words, right? Because the almond, in the Hebrew word, it means watchful, a similar word. And it was the first one that's going to bloom. And, and remember, let's take a look at that. 
Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? I, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. So watch. You have seen what's going to happen. Now watch me perform my word. So again, the play on words there, which ties in what we talked about here. So God had equipped Jeremiah's courage and confidence. And he assured the prophet that with his help, he would be as a fortified city. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And it says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And of course, people talk about that in different contexts. I see in athletics all the time. They talk about athletic accomplishments and achievements. But again, we know in the context of what's talked about here, we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about, look what it says in verse 12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So in other words, I can do all things. What's that mean? I can handle any situation that's put before me. No matter what condition, no matter what circumstance, I can handle it. And again, we go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you can do this because I'm going to protect you. Don't be afraid. And again, the fact that the leaders here, take a look again, how personal this is. The kings of Judah. Okay, it's one thing it's the kings of Babylon or the kings of Egypt. We're talking about kings of Judah. And we can think of evil kings that we're going to read about in Jeremiah and the ones that came before. And again, I can't help but think about uh, going way back when they had judges. And what did the people want? We want a king. Why do we want a king? What was their reason? We want to be like other nations. That was their reason. And, and God warned them what was going to happen. And of course, Zedekiah is going to lead them into that. Uh, it says against the princess. So royalty involved in this. And I've been thinking a lot about that with Britain, the royal family, and you know, the queen's birthday and all that stuff. Against its priest. So again, priest, people who are supposed to accurately represent the Lord. And then it says against two in verse 18, the people of the land. So imagine, so do you think that Jeremiah is going to make some enemies here? Do you think there's going to be people that even with his own family possibly or people that were his friends who are going to reject him on the basis of what he's teaching? Absolutely. But remember that he was told early on in this chapter, and then we're going to go to the next chapter, his task. Do you remember what his task was? His task was, again, and let's take a look at this. Verse 10. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to do what? Root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. And why? What happens when you do that? When you clear it out, then what's it going to do? To build and to plant. That's right. All right. Any comments, anything else you saw in, in chapter one before we, we give a synopsis real quick? Clay. It's just, just real. I, I hate to keep bringing this in all the time, but I, I had this very exact, maybe it's the two-hour block schedule we've been on, but I had this exact conversation with my football guys that, that every day is important. And while you're not doing something today, our opponents are. 
They're lifting weights. They're running. They're doing what they need to do. And you can make all the excuses in the world. And you can fool yourself to thinking you're going to be ready when the season starts. But, but whether you do it or not, that day's gone. And once that day's gone, you can't get it back and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and so I appreciate Clay's point. Um, Joe Graham was telling me, uh, again, encouraging Brother Nix. He said, this is Joe, he says, I, I encouraged him to come to worship. He says, I'll pick you up. He says, I'll even uh, leave Lynn sitting by herself and I'll sit with him. You know, and, and uh, Dwayne left at that. And it's not that Dwayne is intentionally trying to deny it, but again, all of us could build up this case. And, and what, what, what Joe was trying to say is, like, well, 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 Brother Nix, you, you know, you go around here and you do things. I mean, I, I can make it easy for you. You don't have to stay the entire time. Just, you know, get there to worship. And I'm not using Brother Nix's negative example, but what I'm saying is, and then we have someone like Brother Floyd, and you remember his example. His wife passed away. And what did he do that night? He was in the Bible study. Remember, for those who are there, do you remember? You're like, <laughs> we couldn't believe it. And, and again, it, it put me to shame. And I think in the past where I may have made excuses, and again, the fact that, uh, and, and, and you, know, you, know what, you know what Brother Ross accomplished that night? He, he set an example, and he cur- encouraged us all. And I think he was encouraged. He needed that. Instead of being, now, he was grieving, but he went to a study, and, and he participated, and, and what an example for all of us. Yes? Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate those comments because it ties in exactly with what's in the second chapter. And so, uh, what we've studied before in the prophets is going to help us with the book of Jeremiah. Appreciate that comment. Let's get into chapter 2. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. So imagine this young man now, and now he's going to proclaim it. And where is he going to proclaim it? In Jerusalem, right? I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Okay, so we're going to see this here again. So, so what relationship is being used here in comparing God and his people? When you think of someone being betrothed, marriage relationship, right? And we know that Several times through his prophets, God's going to use the marriage relationship. And what's he going to say about his people? They played the what? They played the harlot, right? They committed adultery against him. They were unfaithful to him. And of course, you know, what we know about Hosea. We're not going to spend that that time tonight on that. Okay, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed what? What's it say there? Idols and have become idolaters. So again, if you follow idols, you're an idolater. It's, it's, it's that simple. Neither did they say, where is the Lord? Now this goes back to what was brought up earlier. Who brought us up out of the land of what? Egypt. And, and, and what did... The Lord do to cause Pharaoh to let his people go. Perform the plagues, right? And and eventually Pharaoh did let them go and they pursued him. And yet the Lord protected them. 
And as it was brought up earlier tonight, then what did, he, what did God's people do? Oh, why'd you bring us out here to die? You know, what it was better off, we we're better off in Egypt. Boy, how soon, how soon we could forget. Who brought us, neither, verse 6, neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? You know, sometimes I read commentaries and things that act like that part of the world was all lush everywhere. Well, here's a description of what, the, what it was like when they crossed. And, and where was God leading them to? To the promised land, right? And what was the promised land like? Well, we're going to find out later in this chapter. And yet they turned what should have been wonderful blessings into something else as we're going to see. Verse 7. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you what? Defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So here he is, giving them, bringing them the promised land, and this is this is what the way they're acting. This is what they're doing. Now, verse eight. Who, who does he quote? Who, who is he talking about here in verse eight? The priest did not say, "Where is the Lord?" And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. So who's he calling out here? The leaders. Verse 9. Therefore I will let I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring these charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and send to Kedar and consider diligently. And see if there has been such a thing. So he's talking about to the east and west. This broad range. That even those people don't bail out on their idol gods. Like you are to the true and living God. How ridiculous is that? Last part and then I'll stop. Verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory. For what does not profit? Be astonished, O heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and whom themselves, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So next week, I want you to think about and discuss verse 13 of that chapter. And as we went through that, you probably also thought of passages like Romans chapter 1, about the Gentiles, even though they had evidence of God what they exchanged it for. So again, even people that were not the chosen people had information to know there was a God. And remember, all these nations, whether it be Egypt or Assyria or Babylon, did they have demonstrations that this was the true and living God and had power? <laughs> yeah, because of the defeats they're going to suffer. And, and, and there's no doubt that this God existed and this God was living and was in control. All right, so we're going to start in that section next week. I appreciate everyone's attention and comments.